what is asset protection? The answer really is that it's not traditional estate planning. It's modern estate planning, fighting the things that are actually destroying modern families' wealth. You know, it's no longer death taxes and probate. We're fighting predatory lawsuits and astronomical medical costs. And so it's a very niche field and it's a combination of advanced estate planning, strategic planning, insurance law, real estate law, business organization, investment strategies, and tax law, all combined into one kind of on steroids and then managing all those moving parts together. And so it really takes a team. And that's what we do is put together the teams and the legal structures and try to do what it is. It's just about lifestyle preservation. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Brian Bradley. Brian is an asset protection attorney at Bradley Legal, and in this episode, he'll be telling us how to use offshore accounts to protect our assets. As we know, it only takes one major lawsuit to completely wipe you out and negate decades of savings and investing. If you're interested in keeping the assets you work so hard for, you need to listen to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for having me on and putting this podcast together. And I'm an asset protection attorney for investors and high-risk professionals and high net worth families. And so really, I help give clients peace of mind and you know protect what you have and what you're going to have. You can go and hire a financial advisor to help you stop doing stupid things with your money. But you also have to think about how to protect it and how to keep it. And so I've just been really fortunate to have been selected to the super lawyers list and the lawyers of distinction list, top 100 high stake litigators list. So, you know, I've gotten really good at what I do. And I also write about asset protection for the Oregon State Bar and act as a chief knowledge officer for other law firms and businesses to help maximize their value and integrate existing and new products and manage their knowledge. And so, you know, like really the natural question, I think when your listeners are, you know, are listening to this podcast is, you know, like, what is asset protection? Like I've heard this term. I have no idea what it means. Is this something only rich, fancy, fancy people do or what? And the answer really is that it's not traditional estate planning. It's modern estate planning, fighting the things that are actually destroying modern families' wealth. You know, it's no longer death taxes and probate. We're fighting predatory lawsuits and astronomical medical costs. And so it's a very niche field and it's a combination of advanced estate planning, strategic planning, insurance law, real estate law, business organization, investment strategies, and tax law, all combined into one kind of on steroids, and then managing all those moving parts together. And so it really takes a team. And that's what we do is put together the teams and the legal structures and try to do what it is. It's about lifestyle preservation. And so what we specifically do, like I said, is set up the legal systems and the teams 
using exemptions and asset protection trusts for clients that have essentially outgrown the basic LLC setup. And so what my firm specifically does is work with these higher net worth clients who have hit or turned that 1 million net worth mark. And it does come at a higher initial startup cost with what we do generally around twenty-five or $30,000. But on the other side, once you hit that million dollar net worth, that client profile and their needs or exposure, their risk and their visibility are just going to be a lot more. Yeah. So go ahead and break down different roadmaps for who needs asset protection and when you should actually go to these different services. Yeah. So you need asset protection when you own something. At the end of the day, you don't want to have something in your personal name. You want to always copy what the rich do. And that just comes down to when you buy something, hopefully now you're taking it out of your personal name and decreasing your liability. And so when we go over the landscaping of asset protection and we're on the road of asset protection, you really have three stops. And the goal is to get, like I said, these assets out of your personal name. And then each stop just has different levels of strength. And the first stop is the LLC or limited liability company. The next stop on the highway is what's called an asset management holding company. And this incorporates those LLCs into them. And then the final stop as you're growing is going to be an asset protection trust. And it's either going to be domestic or offshore. And so I'm going to actually break these stops down into more detail now. And so our first stop, like I said, is the LLC. It's a good entry point to establish some basic level of protection. I use them. And then as the clients grow, the level of protection then grows with their needs. But like I said, where you start investing isn't where you're going to end up, just like in the journey of life. And what you need when you just are starting out won't be what you need later on. And so everybody's heard of LLC, so I don't want to spend much time breaking them down. I think everybody knows about them. But your listeners need to understand the pros and cons. And most people only talk about the sunshine and rainbows. And so if they ever have an LLC and they get sued and they're challenged in court, since I you know, am a trial and litigation attorney, most people get really shell-shocked when they find out they didn't hold up and the, you know, the veil got pierced and they're now held personally liable. And so if your listeners are trying to protect just a few assets and your money's limited, you know, LLCs are affordable. You're going to get some limited personal liability out of it. But the weakness is that it's protection or veil, like I said, can be pierced. And if it ever happens, you're now going to be held personally liable, especially in states like California. And I know you have a big focus of California listeners and you're in California. And California is just known as a litigious hellhole and it's very unfriendly and it's known as an unfriendly asset protection state. And then depending on the state and the jurisdiction, you can either have very strong charging orders or horrible ones. And so what a charging order is referring to is how much a creditor can collect from you, the member owner, or the person who owns that LLC. That's why you see about shopping around for different jurisdictions or states when you're setting up LLCs like Wyoming or Delaware, Texas, Arizona, Nevada. Good state charging orders have the charging order being the only remedy. That's the sole remedy that a person can get in the litigation. And so what this means is that a creditor with that judgment against you is entitled only to the limited remedy of the charging order. And then you have other states that are horrible like California, New York, and most other states. But states have started differentiating themselves to just how serious they are about asset protection. So If protection is important to you, then you need to understand this difference of some states have good protection laws and some states don't. And as case laws develop, we're seeing more and more disregarding of the charging only order remedy and more piercing of the corporate veil. But also remember that an LLC is the starting point and it's used more just as a deterrent or smokescreen. What's missing and what we're going to break down later on is the full strength 
that you really will need when you get to that $1 million net worth or more. You need that missing offshore component or the power of what's called statutory non-recognition just to be able to go tell a creditor, hey, go pound sound. We don't care. Is it so easy to pierce the corporate veil because you're like a single member LLC? Is that the main issue there? No, it's also just the way that they're attacked is through fraud or improper funding, not maintaining the LLC formalities, um, commingling funds. You know, People are just generally bad at separating out money, personal and business. So if you're operating the LLC as a business, you can't be commingling your funds. And so if I, as the litigator, I'm going to try to pierce that LLC, I'm going to request in discovery all your documentation, your formalities, your you know incorporation documents. And I'm going to see, are you using this LLC as an extension of yourself, which is you know fraudulent, or are you actually using it as a business? How is it funded? How's the money being transferred? Are you commingling your assets? And it is surprisingly very easy to pierce that veil. So any small mistake can basically make the whole thing go away, right? Exactly. And I heard that some people actually decide to use insurance instead of an LLC just because of this whole thing you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, insurance has its place. I would just say, so I can break in down into, you definitely should have insurance. And this is a really hot topic, you know, of where insurance falls into this, but insurance isn't the end. I see a lot of clients having this false sense of security thinking that, you know, hey, if I get sued, I can just solely rely on my insurance to cover me for the damages. This just isn't the case, you know, but like I said, like it is part of the asset protection picture. I do recommend every single person get insurance as much as they can afford, but they also need to read their insurance policy, read the fine print, understand what's not covered and what the claim limit is. And I can guarantee you, if you ask any one of your listeners like, hey, raise your hand, how many people actually read the fine print of your insurance and know what's covered and what's not covered in your claim limit? I think one out of 100 would probably raise their hand. And so a good place to start to actually first understand this aspect of insurance is that real estate law is the most heavily litigated area of law. There's just so many ways you're going to be getting sued. And it's really just a matter of when and in what condition you're going to be in to defend yourself when a lawsuit comes your way. And so what your listeners are need to do to keep in mind is that insurance companies don't cover you for fraud or punitive damages or intentional wrongdoings. They don't pay claims that are, quote unquote, the direct result of unlawful acts. And so what they're going to need to understand is just this, this basic concept of insurance defense. And it's that you can be sued. And then from the very first statement or communication or email that you made with a buyer or seller at any point, those lawsuits are going to be all based on allegations of fraud. And so that's where all this comes into play. That's how the lawsuit is going to be framed. And so the courts are going to look at those statements that you make and the courts are going to say, hey, those are statements. Statements are intentional acts. And then your insurance company is going to say, we don't cover you for intentional acts of potential wrongdoing. We're not going to cover your claim. And if you think we're wrong, we don't care. Go ahead and sue us. And so now you're suing somebody or being sued while not having to go and sue your insurance company to try to prove that you should be covered. And so now you're in this double-edged fight sword with two different lawsuits. And this is just a misconception that most people don't think about when they're looking at just the coverage of, of you know being covered by their insurance provider. Yeah. And when it rains, it pours, right? Exactly. No one wants to be stuck in a lawsuit, but once you are stuck in a lawsuit, everybody wants to distance themselves from you, including the insurance. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about like when should someone get an LLC? Because it still does cost some funds to create it and it costs you about what 800 bucks a year to maintain the LLC. But if you're only holding like, you know, $10,000 worth of real estate, it's probably not worth it, right? 
I would say it would be worth it because if you have one rental property, there's a lot of different ways that you can be sued. And depending on what else that you have, you want to separate that liability that you have because you don't want them coming after the rent, like your house. You don't want them being able to come after for a judgment, your car or anything else. And so the second you own something that can go boom or hurt somebody or somebody else has the keys to it and they can have a party and someone in that party can get drunk and go T-bone somebody and kill them. You own that house. You own that rental property. They're going to come after the perceived deep pockets, whether you have deep pockets or not. It's just a perception your visibility is there. So the second you decide to own something is the second you say, hey, I need a budget and plan to protect the rest of what I have so it doesn't go all in a judgment. And it's always the things that you don't expect that are going to come up from you. You know, you can't predict when someone's going to get in an accident or a fire. Um, It's not the intentional things that tend to bite you in the butt. It's the unperceived things. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of asset protection is that, you know, you might lose that house that you, you know, rented out and someone died because of it. But the thing is, you don't want that to bleed over to all the other things you own, like your stocks, your bonds, your personal residence, stuff like that, right? Exactly. Or if you start, you know, you had that one unit and that one unit turned into 25, you don't want it to lose the rest of it. You know, it takes a lot of work to make a million dollars. So once you get to that million, 2.5 million net worth, one lawsuit can completely wipe you out. And you're talking about most people took 20 years to get there. And you don't now have the time to rebuild all of that. And so those are the people who need asset protection the most is, um, you know, your cops, firefighters, teachers, you know, blue collar workers that are, you know, really like, hey, I'm going to do this on my own plan for my retirement. I got, you know, four units. I scrapped together all this on my own. Next thing you know, you know, lady luck wasn't looking your way and something bad happened, you know, negligently happened. And next thing you know, your retirement and nest egg completely went away because you didn't do anything to protect yourself. Right. And so after LLCs, what's the next level up that you were mentioning before? Yeah. So, you know, the next stop on the roadmap would be what's called an asset management limited partnership. And this is similar to an LLC. It just allows you to then place those LLCs into that management company. And then it allows for a more streamlined tax filing process. And then it also opens up the door for if your goal is to be a multimillionaire and you want to start really investing and creating this cash flow is the next big step of how we would connect a domestic or offshore asset protection trust into it because it has a delineation of ownership. And so you would have an AMLP has or asset management limited partnership as general ownership and a minority share ownership. So all of your LLCs in real estate would go into that general partnership, the big partnership side of it. And then once you hit that million dollar, you know, plus net worth and you're like, hey, I need this domestic or offshore asset protection trust, we can then add the asset protection trust into the minority ownership share. And then that trust then owns the AMLP, which owns all those LLCs. And then all you do is just get the use and enjoyment and benefit out of them without actually having all the liability. And what we'll break down, you know, next is the offshore asset protection trust. And that's your ultimate hey, go pound sand, we just don't care, strength. Okay, so basically the AMLP is just another corporation that owns all your other LLCs, essentially, right? Essentially it is, and then it just allows a more streamlined process for tax filing. Okay, cool. And then you're saying the next step above that is when you have the owner of that management company be like an offshore account somewhere. Yeah, so it can either be a domestic, local, you know, U.S. asset protection trust, or it can be an offshore asset protection trust. And so I want to break down the difference between the two. And then is there a way to combine the two together to get the best of both worlds? 
Okay. And so what jurisdiction means is that the laws and rules that govern you and trust and business entities are different from one jurisdiction to another. And this means from one state to another or one country to another. Just think of like old criminal movies where there, you know, someone gets killed and the body falls half on one side of the county line and half on the other county line. And then you got the sheriffs and the cops all like, you know, this is my jurisdiction. No, it's my jurisdiction. That's what jurisdiction is. And so you have two options when you establish them. You can either go domestically with asset protection trust, or you can set them up offshores in a country like the Cook Islands. I personally prefer if, and when it's necessary, the power of going offshore is not for everybody, but I prefer it because it's the best home court advantage that you can get. It makes lawsuits go away very fast or quickly resolve them for pennies on the dollar, even against what we call super creditors like the IRS and SEC, you know, the government that can print money and just come after you forever. And the power of foreign offshore trust like the Cook Islands is that it has what I mentioned before. It's called statutory non-recognition of any other jurisdictional court orders. And so what this means is that any U.S. judgment is going to be completely worthless in the Cook Islands. The offshore trustee will just tell any creditor, say, hey, go pound sand. We don't care. It's not valid here. And so the person suing you would either have to start the case all over from scratch, facing the highest legal standard in the world, the murder standard, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, The plaintiff would have to front all the court costs and flying the judge from New Zealand. And if they lose... They'll pay. And then when you're facing a burden of proof, which is, you know, the murder standard beyond a reasonable doubt, they're most likely going to lose. And then the statute of limitations to have sued you probably already ran because it's only one year there. And so before they even had a chance to take a swing at the ball, they already missed their chance most likely. So it sounds great, you know, all sunshine and rainbows there, but there's pros and cons to everything, you know, just like to the LLCs. And so if you're purely foreign, meaning purely offshore, it's going to be very effective. I mean, five out of five stars. Nothing's going to get better than statutory you know, non-recognition. But on the other three factors that uh, you know your listeners would want to put into the equation, control, cost, and compliance, it's going to fall a little short. And so for a foreign asset protection trust to work, you have to be out of control and subject to a foreign trustee. The annual maintenance costs are going to be higher. They're going to be anywhere from five to $10,000 annually. And to be purely foreign, you have a lot more IRS reporting and asset disclosures, um, you know, like IRS forms 3520s and 3528s. And so we only really use 5% of our clients that have to go purely foreign. For most people, it's just overkill. We only have them go foreign if they are really under fire and duress or very high profile and they need to get out of Dodge fast. Now, if we're going to compare this to purely domestic trust, trust here in the U.S., like Nevada Asset Protection Trust or Alaska Asset Protection Trust, they're less expensive with costs and maintenance fees, but they're going to fail on effectiveness and control. And they fail because of the foundation of asset protection. And so the foundation really is to just not be able to recognize the court orders. You want to say, hey, go pound sand. We don't care. But the hallmark of the U.S. legal system is the U.S. Constitution. And so we have the full faith and credit clause, meaning, you know, we have to give every state full faith and credit to the proceedings and court orders that they come through. So you just can't run away from legal claims here in the U.S. And we're also seeing a pattern of purely domestic asset protection trust being pierced. 
We have just a few recent high-profile cases like In Ray Hubbard, Dale versus Dale, Tony One versus Wacker. These are all really good facts where the courts actually just completely disregarded the trust jurisdiction selection. For example, a California resident using a Nevada Asset Protection Trust. That was Kilker versus Steelman. And the courts were just like, we don't care. You're a California resident using an out-of-state trust. We're not going to recognize it. And so you're starting to see the weakening of just pure domestic asset protection trust. And so we're starting to see how the landscape of all this comes together and you're weighing your options like, wow, what do I do? Domestic? Do I go foreign? You know, that's a big decision. And I would say if you didn't have to go purely foreign, you don't choose either. We use what's called a bridge trust and it's a hybrid of a domestic and a foreign asset protection trust. So what we're doing is just combining the best of both worlds. It was created 30 years ago. So it's been around for a while and tested in courts. And and we use the word bridge to demonstrate just how you're connecting and using a foreign trust and connecting two countries like the US and the Cook Islands together with a bridge. And then we just cross the bridge to the safety of the Cook Islands if and when you ever are under attack and you need it. And then when the attack is over, we move the assets back to the U.S. after we settle the case. And so for your CPAs and lawyer listeners, you know, or those that really like to geek out on the details of this, the Bridge Trust is an irrevocable tax-neutral grantor trust. And why you want the trust to be irrevocable is that if you ever are challenged in court, you know, and you're in front of a judge and the judge says, hey, I see you have assets and we think you have control of those assets. And the judge tells you, Go bring them back so that they can be collected on. If it was just purely domestic, you don't have the power to say no. And so what a grantor trust means is that you, the person that created it, retain some of the powers over the assets. So you can still use them however you want, manage them however you want, collect what you want. And like all asset protection trusts, it's self-settled. And what this means is created for you, by you, as your own beneficiary. And now the win-win here is that for the purpose of your IRS reporting and disclosures, the bridge trust is going to be considered domestic, not foreign. And it's because it's created specifically to meet the requirements of USC section 7701, referring to the court test and the control test. And that's important for your tax purposes. What this means is none of the foreign IRS filings or asset disclosures of any kind. So you get that anonymity and privacy. And it's cheaper on cost and maintenance fees. But for the protection purposes, you also now have the strength and power of the Cook Islands in your back pocket. And so how all this works and comes together, because I know it sounds like a lot and really confusing, is the first stop on the roadmap, you have your LLCs. And that holds your real estate and other assets that can hurt somebody or you know has a key or it can go boom. The next stop, you have your asset management limited partnership which acts as your holding company, and it holds the bulk of your assets like cash, stocks, bonds, receivables, whatever essentially anything that can't hurt somebody goes into that part of it. The LLC will be held inside the AMLP. And like I said before, we use the AMLPs because they have a delineation or separation between the managing partner called the general partnership and a minority partner um, who doesn't. You, the client, will be the general partner of the AMLP. This gives you control of the assets and the holding company. And the final stop on this is the Asset Protection Bridge Trust, and it's going to be the majority minority limited partner. This is the non-controlling interest, but it's also the ownership interest. So it's going to be what owns the AMLP. And it's this separation of ownership from use and enjoyment that you get. 
And then either you die and your assets distribute for your living trust, or there's a crisis, the bridge trust is triggered, the assets cross the bridge, and now you got the power to say, go pound sand. And so that's the power of asset protection trust. Cool. Thanks for that lengthy explanation. And I think for anyone who's listening to this podcast, you should rewind and re-listen to it again. So I want to go over one thing real quick with you. So basically with the bridge trust, you're getting the best of both worlds, where if you had it purely foreign, then I guess it's complicated for... I guess IRS purposes, it's also complicated. You just have to make more disclosures and file more IRS compliance. And then your annual cost will be higher. Exactly. Yeah, there's a way to then, by staying in compliance and keeping it domestic until it has to go offshore, is where you get the benefit of both worlds. Your annual cost will be less on maintenance fees, like generally $2,100 versus five dollars to $10,000. You don't have to file those IRS disclosures because it's domestic trust. So anything in that domestic trust, you don't have to disclose until if you had to go foreign, then it becomes a foreign trust. Then you have to disclose everything. And so what are the setup costs for the bridge trust? Just under 30000 So for the bridge trust with the AMLP, it's 29000 And then the way we charge it, which is about in the middle for most foreign asset protection trusts, we are not the most expensive. We're not, you know, the cheapest. We put ourselves right in the middle just for business purposes. And they kind of get the best of both worlds at a reasonable price, you know, $30,000 to protect over a million dollars. And it's a one-time fee. You know, I think that's a pretty good deal. So who is this for? Is it just for people who basically have a million dollars of net worth? That's what it comes down to about the most, you know, client profile wise. For the bridge trust option, yeah, I would say, you know, either, you know, you're a doctor and you have a lot of potential visibility in malpractice, plus you're investing or you own your own practice, you're a business owner, um, you got a liability as a business owner, plus you may be investing, or there's a lot of people who nowadays, you know, own four or five, 25 units and became really successful real estate investors. This is when you get into that higher level asset protection. Consider an LLC that you're putting your assets into, or is it like a bunch of different LLCs? So we'll just use like, for example, real estate. You put your real estate as you're growing. Let's say like, hey, I have my first unit. You put your first unit into an LLC. Then maybe next you have, you grow to four. So you can split those up into two different LLCs because you want to split up the liability. Next thing you know, you probably have a net worth around, you know, 500000 to $750,000. You put those into the AMLP. And then you're going to probably then hit that million dollar net worth, become an accredited investor. Once you hit that, you're going to start, you know, astronomically start growing with your net worth and what you're doing, which means your visibility is also going to be a lot higher. That's then when you come in with the asset protection trust. Right. But you can put basically anything in the asset protection trust. You're going to put, yeah, anything into the trust. Yes. Do people put their own personal properties in there as well? I would not put your personal residence into an LLC, but you can put it into the trust. I see. You don't put into LLC because you want to get that 250 slash 500k deduction, right? Correct. Got it. Okay. And, you know, when I hear things like offshore, it reminds me of, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street or like Panama offshore accounts. Yeah. So go ahead and talk about that. Okay. You know, sort of like you're saying how to protect it or like how... Well, I see, I guess those guys are doing that for tax evasion, right? Which is not legit. Yeah, no. Yeah. So... You're not evading taxes. This is all tax neutral. And if you get on the phone and some lawyer's like, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to evade some taxes or like decrease all of that, just run because that's illegal. You can't be doing that. And all of these people who use these, there's a very good line that's drawn in the sand. They're completely fine and legal if you're not trying to avoid paying your taxes. It's if you're trying to hide or hinder or evade paying taxes, courts get angry with that. 
And so I would say one good question would be, is crossing the bridge a fraudulent transfer? You know, because you have both this domestic trust and this offshore trust, you know, and I'm being sued, wouldn't that just be a fraudulent transfer? You know, it's generally a good question that I would get off of that. And the answer is no. A conveyance happens when you change ownership of the assets, you know, at the point when the bridge trust actually crosses the bridge, there's no change in ownership because the bridge trust already owns the assets that are held in it. So there's no change of ownership. Everything was created and done at that one moment in time when you called me and we created it, all the assets were transferred into it. To get to kind of your Panama trustee running off with your money um, question, it's a really good one. And I would be concerned about that too. And since asset protection ultimately relies on removing the assets from both the US jurisdiction and then the control of the clients, it's going to be you know a natural question. You should be concerned about that. But how can I be sure that you know there's a foreign trustee that's not going to run away with your money? I would just say you have to really vet the process and work with established people. And then you want to create checks and balances within the system. And so you want a legal structure that requires the approval and the consent of various parties who act as checks and balances on the assets and a physical tracking mechanism directly with an independent bank that you, the client, choose, like a Switzerland bank that you would go and pick that holds the money, and so that the client's always aware of where the money is. The legal control of the assets is done through a two-party approval mechanism, and so this is like requiring two signatures on a check. The trustee is responsible for the management of the assets and the legal title. However, unless trustee is the client, you know, they don't have the physical possession of the money, which is going to be held in an independent bank. And so what you're really doing is creating a three-party checks and balance system. You have you, the client, looking over the trustee, a trust protector looking over the trustee, and then you have the bank looking over what assets are being moved through having requiring you to have consent and knowledge of what's going on. So there's no way any assets can ever be moved without the client when these are done properly, knowing what's going on and giving direct authorization because you're looking over what's going on. The bank is looking what's over what's going on. You're concerned about an offshore trustee. The bank's looking at the offshore trustee. The trust protector that you selected, which is most likely a U.S. law firm, is looking over the trust, you know, the trustee. So you have this three-way built-in protection system. Is there any tax liability for transferring things across different parties? For example, like, you know, like if I want to just give someone like a property, right? You still have to pay tax on that, don't you? There's gifting limits, you know, for taxes. And like, you know, in this sense, you are kind of like, you know, transferring ownership from one entity to another one through this bridge uh, transfer. But it's sure, it's just putting it into a domestic trust is the same thing. So you're not gifting it to yourself. You're just putting it into a trust. Um, there are certain things that you can do that's called like a high set trust created by Jeffrey Verdon, which is amazing. But that's for like people with 100 million net worth or more. And then they can put in, gift 25 million into it right now, I think is the max. And then that decreases their taxable estate. And then, you know, it's called have your cake and eat it to trust because you can put 25 million in, it grows tax deferred, you know, forever while it's in there. So if it grows, you know, at 6% rate for 30 years, you got like $80 million in there that's tax deferred. But then if you don't want to give it to your, you know, druggy grandchild or whoever, because you don't trust them anymore, you're not stuck in the position to give it to them anymore. So you can get it back. Okay. So basically putting an asset into a trust does not trigger anything, you know, like 1031 exchanges, right? You can't just sell a property, right? 
Yeah, it's just like putting it into a land trust or putting it into your revocable living trust. Got it. Because yeah, I think there was some issue in terms of like transferring title, right? Like if you go from personal name to LLC, that does trigger some stuff. Yeah, but there's specific tax laws. I mean, you know, there's transfer laws that allow you to transfer title out of your personal name into a trust. Got it. Yeah, it's different than if it's into an LLC, the bank would say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, timeout, we're not comfortable with this. But by putting it into a trust, you're in the bank, it won't trigger the due on sale clause or anything. So basically what you guys are doing right now is you guys already have these properties and assets all in these different LLCs that you created and you're just moving it into different trusts and this bridge, what do you call again? Bridge trust. Okay, so this bridge trust is just transferring the trust, right, to the Cook Islands. So technically nothing actually moves on title. It's just the trust moves, right? It's just a trust. And the trust is both foreign and domestic because both the units were created at the same time in the trust. And we already have the foreign offshore trustee set up on guard, you know, waiting for you who did their due diligence. So everything is set up legitly right from the beginning. And so basically you have to set this up before you get sued, right? Exactly. It's all about being proactive. If you were to set this up after your hair is on fire, there's going to be a little that you can do. It's going to be really expensive. And we would generally go into just called equity stripping structure planning as just we got to preserve whatever we can. And at that point, generally, you know, the client doesn't really care what they get. They just want to keep something. And that's just basically a fire sell of everything, put it into an offshore trust, put it into a Switzerland bank account and lock down, you know, the hatches. Got it. But you can't even do that unless you had this structure set up beforehand. That's why if you wanted to have the ultimate ironclad protection, you have to actually have, you know, the foreign asset protection trust set up beforehand anyways. How long does this whole thing take to set up? About 30 days. Okay. So I guess if there is like whispers in the air that you're going to be sued in 30 days, you should start getting it done now. You should have already had it. And then we're going into fire guard protection there because you already then are foreseeable that you're being sued and you would know. Um, So you want to set these things up when everything's peaceful and calm. There's nothing going on. You just want to be proactive. You know, you have visibility. You know, you have a lot, you know, or that your goal is to get a lot. And then you just incrementally stage up as you go. You know, no one with one or two properties should be calling me saying, hey, I want the bridge trust. I would say, are you, I've taught clients out of it. No, like why? That's not financially reasonable for you right now let's scale you in you know and use the rest of that money to invest somewhere else all right makes sense and then you mentioned earlier in the show that there's something that californians can have that only works for california yeah and so another option and it's only for california residents is called an exemption plan and so this is kind of the similar strength of a foreign asset protection trust because an exemption is an exemption. It's a legal right. And it's how I'm sure most of your listeners know who OJ Simpson, you know, was. And for the, those who don't know, he was the NFL player who got charged with murder for killing his wife, got acquitted. And then the family came back after him for a civil wrongful death suit. They won and they took him for everything that he had except for his Florida mansion and his, um, NFL pension plan because they were federally exempt and state exempt. And so this is a great thing that California has. And so there's a few reasons we want to know about these exemption planning. And first, because it's a California state given legal right. So you always want to claim and max those out first. Second, you're starting to see, like I said, the weakening of out of state asset protection trust. For example, I mentioned this case before, it's called Kilker versus Steelman in 2012. This court completely disregarded a Nevada asset protection trust for a California resident. And we're starting to see these more and more cases, like and I mentioned some of them before, throughout the nation. And that's why for California residents, you either want to look to offshore asset protection trust 
or what's called a PRT exemption plan if you qualify for it or not. And so a few good examples of exemptions are Florida homestead exemptions. And I think it's just because people can put their head around what a homestead is. So for example, in Florida, your home, regardless of its value, is absolutely protected from creditors. So as long as it's contained with a one-fourth acre, no matter how much value that house is, 24 million, 50 million, whatever, it's completely exempt. And then for your California residents, the great thing for them is that they live in a state that's the only state to grant full exemption protection for any asset that qualifies for being placed in a private retirement trust. And the kicker here, though, is like it has to be for the primary purpose to protect those assets for your retirement. So that has to be the intent. You want to protect them later on down the line for your retirement. And this was codified under CCP Section 704.115 way back in the 70s. So it's been around for a long time, over 40 years with really strong case law from the Ninth Circuit Court. They just love these. And because these plans are tax neutral, you can invest in anything you want. And we can protect a lot like cash, real estate, portfolios, life insurance, private equity, corporate stock, LLC memberships, basically anything except for like a vacation property that you're using or, you know, if you collect cars and things like that. And then these plans aren't limited like ERISA or government regulated retirement plans because it was created specifically for California, by California, for Californians. It's not a federal exemption. And so you don't have your 59.5 age limits for distributions. The only big downfall for PRT exemption plans is that not all your assets are going to qualify, only about 65% of them. And they make the most sense when the client is around $10 million net worth or more. And that's just because you have a larger income to work with, and that creates a bigger exemption box that, and matrix that we can use to figure out what assets we can cram into the exemption. But then they still would need to do what's called extra planning or excess planning. And so, for example, if you had a $50 million net worth and we can only protect 65 of it, you would still have like $25 million that we would have to do extra planning for, which would generally be then a foreign asset protection trust. So just to clarify something, you said that, I guess, in California, if you have anything that has to do with your retirement planning, or I guess if you have anything to do with your retirement, then that's protected. So obviously, ending in a 401k, IRA, that stuff is all protected? Well, 401k, yeah, is exempted. IRAs is state by state, and generally, they're not going to be protected. This is where the misconception is with people, is if you're being sued for intentional wrongdoings or malfeasance or bankruptcy, they can generally reach in and come after those funds. Even in California? Yeah. I see. But you were mentioning that in California, these uh, retirement plans are exempted? Yeah. So it's not a retirement plan. It's a trust that you create. It's just called a private retirement plan. That's how they named it in the 70s. Got it. So it's a specific thing called the PRT that you need to create. It's not just your blanket IRAs. Exactly. And then you have to go through the qualification process because the assets have to qualify to reach into it based off of your age, your retirement plans, your income, your total net worth. And then the matrix comes up with a specific number that can be funded into this trust. And so that's why these plans work the best when you have 10 million or more in net worth, because you can create a larger metrics that you have to survive off of for the rest of your life. So you can't just say that, oh, I bought this house in Florida that I plan on retiring off of if it's not in this trust. Well, in Florida, if you bought that property and and that was your residence, it would be a homestead exemption. Exactly. This is like a rental property. Yeah. And so, but if you're a California resident, you're like, hey, I bought this rental property for retirement, you know, you're renting it out or whatever. You can put those rental properties into that PRT based off of the metrics that we would create. So if you had 10 million net worth, 
we can whatever your in, assets are that you're invested in, we can generally fund and protect up to about 65% of that. Say again, why does it need to be 10 million net worth? It just creates a larger exemption matrix to where if you came in with $5 million of net worth, you really wouldn't have much worth funding the private retirement plan. I mean, is it expensive to create? Is that why there's a downside to it? Yeah, it's about $30,000. I see. These higher levels of protection. And so when you're spending $30,000 and you can only fund about, protect about 65% of what you have, and you still have to go create something on top of it to protect the rest of it, then you're spending you know, like $30,000 on top of $10,000 and you don't have the net worth to justify that. That's the reason why. Got it. So would you recommend that people do both or just focus on one or the other if they can? I would focus on the asset protection trust if you're not already at that you know, high net worth level looking to protect just because I have some clients that have less net worth that just really wanted the PRT and were California residents, but that was their long-term plan and their own personal investment strategy was all for retirement. And so, okay, fine. You guys want to spend the money. I get it. That's fine. I would just say I would focus on the LLC asset management limited partnership and offshore planning because we can protect basically a hundred percent of everything into there. Once you really, if you really blow up and you get, you know, a really high net worth and you're talking about 10, 20, you know, plus million dollars, then we can start splitting that up and, you know, exempt some domestically in your California plan. And then you can still afford the rest of the protection, you know, stronger end protection of your other assets later on. Is there a reason why you would want to split it up if the trust is already so good, like the bridge trust? I would use the bridge trust. It's just a matter of you would use with a private retirement plan for California. It's just a specific California thing. So I think your listeners need to understand if you're not from California, the private retirement plan or private retirement trust, this conversation is not for you. You would be working with a third party trustee because they have to manage the trust. And they actually are finding clients missing tens, you know, sometimes 80, you know, $100,000 annually just because they do a whole audit system of your taxes and they're going through every benefit, you know, IRS benefit and credit that sometimes most of the time your IRS tax guy, they just don't know about because that's not their job to know about it. So I would say if you want a system that actually can give you a return on an investment and you're a California resident and you hit those, you know, matrix marks, that would be a good one to get because you actually have a team set up that's auditing your investments and your taxes for you. And that's going to be about a $5,000 annual, you know, fee. But at the same time, if you're getting, you know, $20,000, $80,000 back every year, it's just a return on investment in itself. That's right. And so we definitely went over a lot of information today. Are there other common misconceptions that you think that we should know about? Yeah, I think that some of like, this is illegal, you know, asset protection is illegal. Um, no, the courts have been really clear on this. It's not illegal. It's just protective planning. Insurance is another aspect of, you know, lower level version of asset protection. Um, The American Bar Association even has specific legal sections exclusively dedicated to asset protection. I teach some of these to other lawyers and CPAs. Another misconception, offshore trusts are scams. No, they're not, but scams do exist. So you just have to be careful and ask the right questions 
Uh, and people get concerned when they hear about, you know, the Panama Papers or they watch movies on Netflix about it. So just do your due diligence like anything, but realize offshore trusts have been the global gold standard for protection since they were created in the 80s. Nothing's better than them yet. Some people think this asset protection avoids taxes. No, it's tax neutral, but you can get byproduct and secondary, you know, tax benefits out of it because... You're using legal entities, and then those legal entities now give you more tax benefits and write-offs and deductions that your CPA can start using for you. But you can't have the intent to try to set this up to avoid taxes or hiding assets. That's illegal. If that's what you went and told your lawyer, I'd have to tell you, sorry, that's illegal. That's fraud. I can't do that. I can lose my license. Goodbye. We already went over just crossing the bridge create a fraudulent transfer? No, I would go back and listen to that. The conveyance already happened beforehand. So there's no conveyance when you cross the bridge. And you know, the other big misconception, the foreign trustee is going to take off with my money. No, it's, it's a big concern and it's an understandable concern. But like I said, we create in checks and balances systems and internal and external checks and balances. And that involves you, the trustee with the trust protector looking over that trustee, you, the client looking over the trust protector and the bank's and, you know, having built-in delays and client consent forms. So the effect is that it's just going to be virtually impossible for, you know, anyone to make off and take off with your money like in movies without you having direct knowledge and consent of what's going on with your money and your assets beforehand. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Do you have any last words before we finish up? No, just don't DIY it. Don't DIY this. Do your preventative planning. Even if you scale it up, LLC and up, who cares? Just do something to protect yourself. Perfect. And Brian, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, my emails always in Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com or my website has lots of educational information, www.btblegal.com. And I do free consultations. I have lots of free information and downloadable brochures on my website and tons of videos. I used to charge for the consultations, but I would just rather have people get information and educate themselves because it's a very confusing topic. And I don't think people should do what they generally are like, oh, I don't want to pay 150 or three, you know, $200 for a legal consultation. So I'm not going to call. Just call. You know, even if you go with somebody else or you find somebody cheaper, I don't care. Just get the information, make an educated decision, know your pros and cons and your options and make an educated decision. Yeah, this is a very intimidating field and process. So thank you for giving out that information. Yeah. All right, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Asset protection is very important. If your business isn't structured correctly, one lawsuit can completely wipe you out. Putting things in offshore accounts makes it very hard for the opposition to access. And by the time the judgment gets there, they'll probably lose. Or they'll be so delayed that the statute of limitations will have expired and they'll have missed their chance of seizing anything. If you're interested in finding more ways to protect your assets, schedule a free consultation with Brian. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.